This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. You are listening to the latest edition of Two Bad Hombres, and this week's episode is brought to you by DC Sports at Lakeside Mall in Sterling Heights. You can follow DC Sports on Twitter at DC Sports Detroit and check out their fine website at DetroitCitySports.com for all their latest autograph signing sessions, including two of them coming up that you must be in attendance for, including on June 15th, next weekend that would be with Chase Winovich, the Michigan football icon and New England Patriots third round draft pick signing autographs at DC Sports. And following that to wrap up the month of June is a signing in which Sweet Lou, Lou Whitaker, will be featured. For all of that and more, once again, check out DC Sports' terrific website at DetroitCitySports.com. I was trying to get an idea. I want them dead presidents. I want to pull up. It's been... And we are still, still, still not tired on this week's episode of Two Bad Hombres. I am your host, Vito Geronimo Chirco, alongside my usual sidekick and broadcast partner in fun that is a doc from Doc and Jock, John Charles Macaroon. John, how are you doing? Vito, welcome to the weekend. Looking forward to this podcast recording. We got a special in-studio guest this week. Who we got? Jason Colthorpe of WDIV Channel 4 in Detroit. Jason, how are you doing? Two very bad hombres. Believe me, they're very bad, very bad guys. But forget about that. They're very great, very strong. Um, it's good to I be love here. that impersonation of Donald J. Trump. Very top-notch. It's, it's my hidden talent. I was going to get to that later probably. But uh, when you said two bad hombres, it just clicked right in my head. Uh, I, I end up doing that in the newsroom a lot whenever something comes up with Trump and I try and keep it because, you know, it's a mixed newsroom. So people will have different beliefs about different things. So I, I always try and keep it. I did one on my uh, my Facebook a couple of years ago when I was here and I was out reporting and I, I don't know why it just clicked, but we were at Bigby Coffee and I just went into this whole thing and I just went... You know, whenever I'm out getting coffee, and believe me, I love coffee. It's very good. I go to the Bigley Coffee. It's very Bigley. It's very strong. Tremendous people. I love the Bigley people. Very great people. Wonderful people. I love these people. But forget about that. It's made in America, not in China. <laughs> it's not hacked by the Russians. It's very good coffee, believe me. I, I know a says, lot of coffee makers. How he says Bigley. I mean, like, nobody even knew that was a word before you started using it, right? But it actually is in the dictionary, so we know that. Oh, in China, huge. the way in which he says China, and China. it is huge. China. That is something, isn't it? <laughs> It really is. Uh, Jason, John? I'll ask you this, and uh, I'm going to enjoy this conversation. I want to get to know Jason. The way in which I came in contact with him is similar to a lot of the guests. Is you know, Obviously, we're on Twitter quite a bit, you and I, and all of a sudden, you know, someone started chiming in, and it's Jason. I look up everyone's profile, and I'm like, oh, you know, his profile bio was very interesting. So I'm thankful that when we met him at the USPBL uh, uh, Media Day that he said, you know what? Ah, oh, that's the guy that's been uh, you know, messaging back and forth a little bit, a fellow Spartan. So mm-hmm. that's always a yep. good thing. That's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> I feel comfortable already, but I do want to ask because you brought it up. Uh, you know, the newsroom is mixed. What's been the, you know, how's been your reaction to kind of talking politics with your colleagues? Has it been okay? Uh, do you guys feel like it's comfortable to have those kind of discussions, especially in a work environment? It's, it, it can get when we are in our meetings talking about what we're going to cover. Uh, we had one recently and it was, we were talking about um, all the, dem- so there's so many people running for the Democratic nomination for president. This is endless. It's in the 20s. 
And we were talking about, are we going to do a story every time somebody comes to town? And I kind of brought up and I said, you know, I'm just saying for the viewer out there who's a hardcore Republican, aren't they going to say every time they see this, there goes the left wing mainstream media, fake news, whatever, again, just covering their candidates. And we had this good discussion. It kind of set off a good discussion. No, because I think it's and somebody had a great viewpoint. It's good to educate everyone on every candidate. And it's it's just difficult to balance it sometimes. But I think in this culture, I, I go into this all the time and I tell people, as journalists, it's important more now than ever to remember that it's our job to gather the news, not steer it one way or another. We're not analysts. We're not a we're not writing editorials, we're writing stories, and we're just presenting the facts for people to decide. And I think too often people lump the entire media in when they say, oh, it's fake news, it's mainstream. They throw them, and you guys can probably relate to this, they just say media all as one thing. And, and I'd say, I challenge them to say, which media? Are you reading some blog, far left blog or far right blog? That's not all media. That's not us. The local news is completely different than so many different things. We're different than podcasting. We're different than a blogger, a, you know, network news even. So, I mean, we do have those good discussions, but in the end, I think we do a great job of making sure we, we have true professionals there. That's the key. And then how important is it to give both sides of the argument? Very, but sometimes there isn't two sides. I was uh -huh. like, sometimes there's four sides. Sometimes there's one side. You don't go to the KKK rally and, and let them tell you what their viewpoint is. We know what it is and we're not going to give them the airtime kind of thing, but it's very important. I mean, you do have to go the extra mile to make sure uh, it's not so much about both sides sometimes as it is about being fair. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure everybody has a fair say um, and you, you can't be too beholden. I've learned this uh, a couple times here. Uh, Rod Maloney has been a good mentor of mine and he'll say, you know, I watched your story and he goes, I think you were a little beholden to your source there, the source who you get a story from or you run with it. And maybe you lean a little bit more toward their side of the story, uh, or you give them may, maybe more say before you go get the rebuttal. And sometimes the rebuttal is uh, uh, totally different. So Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and uh, tell us about your ties here locally. Well, I was uh, born in Lansing a long time ago. I uh, grew up in uh, St. Je well, I, I grew up in DeWitt for a couple of years, and then uh, my mom moved us to Florida in fourth grade. So I grew up in Anna Maria Island. Uh, through high school. And Nicer than here. It's a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, uh, <laughs> little bit better weather. And then I would spend summers up here with my dad. My dad's in mid-Michigan and I uh, grew up on, he ran uh, golf courses for a guy. So I grew up on a golf course usually. And then the restaurant business, my family's in the restaurant business. And then I, after high school, I came back, uh, wanted to come back to Michigan, just wanted to get out of Florida. Everybody goes, why? I, looking back, I have no idea why, but I did. I uh, went to Michigan State, Ferris State for a couple of years, and then Michigan State for a couple more and um, finished out. And I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster. That was my, that was my goal because I did it in high school and they gave me free reign. I had no, once I was a junior in high school, I knew I wanted to be on SportsCenter. That was my goal for the longest time. And finally, I broke through. Actually, I had some trouble after I graduated. It took a couple of years before I could get a job in TV. And the job in between was for the Lansing Lugnuts. I was the stadium MC, which, believe me or not, believe it or not, really helps when you get up in front of 10,000 fans every night and you, hey, everybody, it's time to play Go Nuts for Donuts. Our contestant today is John Everson. Yo, John. All right, John, here's what we're going to do play a song, and then we're going to stop it. And if you get it right and you sing the next line, you're going to get two dozen donuts from Quality Dairy. All right, here we go. You're ready to play. So I do that every night, and I did that for two years, and then finally got a job at uh, WILX in Lansing as the third sports guy. Did that for two years, 
and had a great mentor there in Ben Holden, who uh, is familiar down here. He's CBS Sports play-by-play guy. Uh, he does TV, and uh, he was he, he's done some radio for a DFN back in the day, and he's a great friend of mine. And by the second year, I was thinking, all right, you know, I was married then. I'm thinking maybe I can look for another job, maybe go to another market. Um, but before that happened, uh, randomly, I filled in on a weekend morning newscast because they were out of people. And it was just the truth. There was everybody's out of town, gone. They asked me to do it. And I thought, well, I guess that'd be fun. So I, I jumped in, did it. And uh, that led to one more. And the next thing you know, I'm, they're offering me the weekday morning news anchor job, which I took. And that led to an evening anchor job. And I ended up staying there 15 years. And I was the uh, everyday anchor before I left to come to Channel 4 in 2015. So I've been here four and a half years. And uh and then I've been here reporting, and then I started anchoring the 5.30 News with uh, Karen Drew every day. So, so I think it was interesting, too, seeing your Twitter bio and what you put on there. That you've been a <laughs> wedding DJ, mm. minor league baseball stadium MC for the Lansing Lugnuts, then. I mean, how did those experiences help you out as well? It really takes the fear out of everything. I would explain. I try to explain this to younger reporters. You can see the fear in their eyes sometimes, and they're very cautious. And, and I always say, there's a, you just have to do something that gives you that sense of finally jumping out of the plane and just going for it. And for me, that was the wedding DJ part was good. You know, it's a big crowd. It's their biggest day of their lives. So you have to be on your game. And I was always very, I I had a good mentor in that regard as well. And that always went very well. And I would get a lot of laughs and we had a few things. And, but as long as you you had to learn, what I learned there is you don't always have to be the center of attention when you're running things. Just get out of the way and let things go. Just kind of steer it. And then when I worked for the Lugnuts, so many people up there, I just remember being my heart beating out of my chest the very first game that I worked, the very first inning. And as soon as they got the third out, I knew I had to get up on the dugout. And I was just so scared. And I kept thinking, have a big inning. Just score eight runs. I can't do this yet. And uh-huh. at some point, the lady looks over at me. And she goes, I'm so nervous. And I went, you're nervous. I'm yeah, the one who has to do all the talking. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I, I got up there and I said, hey, Lugnut fans, how you doing tonight? And there was like this beat. And all of a sudden, some guy in the back just stands up and goes, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah. And from then on, I really lost all nervousness. It was just breaking that barrier to be able to do what I do. What are some of your early uh, sports memories and why you chose sports potentially to uh, uh, become uh, an early broadcaster? My earliest sports memories were, I would think about this all the time. I remember my first NFL memory was the Dolphins-Chargers double overtime playoff game. I don't know why that's in my memory, that one. Basketball, uh, I can't remember what, I think it would be... I don't remember the 79 championship game, but my parents were both big sports fans, both big Michigan State fans. My dad's a super sports fan and loved. I just remember growing up and in the summertime, I would we'd spend the summers with my dad. And it's funny, I look at the wall and I see the old free press pages that you have up and he would get the free press and the news every day. And I was the kid who went through and just soaked up the stats. I would always go through and pray that this was the day they put the league batting averages in the, in the paper. The way before the internet, and I'm thinking, oh, yes, stats. Who's leading the league in doubles? Who's leading the league in triples? Whitaker's on there. I knew he would be. Yes. And I just, I memorized all the, just because I loved it so much, I collected baseball cards and I memorized uh, all the home run totals from all the great home run hitters. And still, somebody will say Ted Williams. I'm like, 521. 
And I just, William A, 660. And I could just, the numbers just still stick with me. But I grew up loving baseball and we played soccer and basketball and just played a lot of sports. And it just was my thing. I loved it. And I love sports trivia. You brought up Lou Whitaker now. The sweet Lou belong in the Hall of Fame. That's been a discussion for many years now There's among Detroit no sports fans. There's no question. I just tweeted about, somebody tweeted out of the blue some Hall of Fame thing saying, should Lou be in? And they gave some good stats. Just look at the stats. It, like People say Joe Morgan is the best second baseman of all time. Look at Lou Whitaker's stats. Hold them side by side. They're very comparable. And Lou's better than Joe Morgan in a few things. But because he was part of the big red machine, I think it launches him so much higher. But let's not forget, let's not forget he was part of the best double play combination of all time, arguably. But, I mean, Tiger fans would believe they're the best 20 years together and, and the longest double play tandem in major right. league baseball history as well jason as you know so i loved lou whitaker he signed my card in spring training one year i just so i'm a little obviously we're partial being detroit fans but if you look at the numbers i thought morris belonged in i thought Whitaker. i think whitaker belongs in and uh, i think trammell belongs in too mm-hmm. he was always i mean you take away it, the shadow of cal ripken in the 80s is he should have won the mvp in 87 got robbed by george bell and he was a World Series MVP in 84. And another guy who played for an incredibly long time. But I don't have Trammell stats, but in front of me. So. And I'll bet you your career. What are the differences and similarities between covering sports and then news reporting? It's, it took me a while to get this because in sports, I was having so much fun. You know, you're like, oh, man, I'm going to Michigan State's basketball practice. I love these guys. I love Izzo. And, you know, I would go uh, – cover these guys and, and, and tell a story. And it was fun putting a story together, like about Jason Richardson's rise to the way he's playing this year. It's just, he's come out of nowhere. I still remember putting that together and using that sound. And it was so, it's just, that was fun. And then I switched to news and I'm thinking, you know, I don't even watch the news. When I first jumped into the news part of it, I didn't watch it. I watched sports, only sports, our sports, our competition, sports, ESPN, that sort of thing. And then putting a story together, I had to learn it was more, you're really more storytelling. There's more of, there's a lot more subtlety to it. And it's not about just getting a police officer to tell me the facts and that's the sound bite. That's not what you want. It took me a while to, to realize you're trying to capture the human emotion of stories and you want to get people's emotion about, a lot of times we have, we say this at Local 4, these are uh, big moments, uh, life-changing moments. Whenever you're out covering a story almost every day, that story you're doing is a life-changing moment for someone, so you should be able to get their emotion on it and be able to tell a good story that isn't just, you know, your your voice, soundbite, your voice, soundbite, your voice, soundbite. It should be able to weave a whole different tale with a lot of elements to it. So make it interesting. Yeah. Use unique angles. You have to captivate the audience, right? Yeah. And tell a story. And then in your Twitter bio, I saw that you did put that storyteller at Local 4 News. So it really comes down to telling great stories about these individuals. I take so much pride when we're able to interview someone or find out what someone's story is and or find out maybe it's a controversy, maybe it's a story, it could be a million different things. Maybe it's just a bar that's uh, been in Monroe for 100 years next to this uh, railroad track and it's, uh, what's the story behind it? Uh, the owners met there he bought it after delivering to it for years and years, and then his wife came in and was in the pool league. They met, and now they run it together, and you just weave in these different different ways to be able to let them tell this story that probably a lot of people don't know. Not to mention you have we have photographers who are incredibly talented at Channel 4 who are able to do uh, so many different things with different cameras now and uh, microphones, and we use different angles. I remember that story I just happened to be referencing, the Sidetrack Saloon in Monroe. 
we used this, uh, we superimposed me sitting at the bar, not superimposed, we just shot it this way. I was sitting there and then you see me walk in as a new patron in the same shot and sit down and say hi to myself. Hey, how you doing? Uh, you know, kind of thing. So we try and do a lot of different creative things to be able to tell that story and just make it memorable. I, a long time ago when I was still in sports, I did a story on a female golfer who was playing in the U.S. Open. She, at the time, she was the only woman to play in the U.S. Open tennis tournament and golf tournament other than Althea Gibson. And um, her name was Karen. Oh, I, I, I would think of it if I give me a minute. But I remember thinking, we were just out talk, on the golf course. I looked at my photographer and I said, how are we going to make this story better? What, do we, what can we do that tomorrow somebody goes, did you see that story on Channel 10 last night? Wow. So I always still remember that. I'll think, what can we do to make somebody say, did you see that story on Channel 4 yesterday? Wow. Um, and in that case, uh, I asked her if she knew any trick shots and we set it up where I was holding a ball out of my mouth and she hits it out of my mouth. Really? Trick photography. She didn't really do it, but, <laughs> uh -huh. but she played along and it was really great and people remembered it. So, so how much do you look at the competition channel seven, channel two and what they're doing and try to be different than those guys? It's, I don't think, uh, we, we look at it to, to be different. I personally, I don't, I don't look very much at all. And even at the beginning, even when I came here, I was nervous about, um, doing the same story when I knew both other stations were doing it. Um, and I, sometimes I would check to see how they did it. What did they get? Cause sometimes I was nervous. Maybe I didn't cover everything I needed to. I was still pretty nervous at the beginning. And, but then not long after I was just very confident in the way I told the story and I just, I didn't check. I didn't look, but when we're sitting in the, um, in the newsroom sometimes, uh, I should shorten it and just say, it's not my job to watch them, but we do watch them. Mm -hmm. The same way they have people that watch what we're doing. So you still pay attention at the end of the day. And yeah. when you're on the scene covering a story, what is it like being out there, a day in the life of a news reporter, Jason? Well, it's fun. Every day is different. And you get out there and you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know who you're going to talk to. You don't know what kind of sound bites you're going to get. It depends on what the story is. And if uh, you're human, every story affects you differently. I mean, in Detroit, let's not, you know, mince words. There are a lot of tough stories to cover, a lot of shootings. A lot of times it ends in death. And a lot of times you're on a scene where it's someone's worst day of their life. And you not always, it, I just know that I go to each story and think about how do I want to cover this respectfully. You ha and the tough thing is sometimes everybody's there. You have to be mindful. You don't want to come back to the station and get questioned as to, Hey, why didn't they have this? Well, why didn't you get this one? And sometimes it's, you know, you may, you want to make sure that you're going to be able to sleep at night. You're not going to jam a microphone in somebody's face. Who's just lost somebody. I've never done that. And I never will. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying other people do, um, but every story is different. You get out to those scenes and then hopefully it's a, it's a, it's a better story where it's breaking news. Something's happening and there's a rush to be able to do things quickly and get it on the air quickly and you get you just get a nice story cut real quick and it's good and you're able to to uh translate it to the audience and if you can do that a lot more clearly than I'm doing it here uh if you can do that uh then it just gives you so much pride to be able to uh to know that you did a good job so how tough are those stories to cover and to convey at times when there is death involved how tough is that for you as a news reporter it just depends sometimes. Sometimes um, some affect you more than others. I mean, when you've been doing it a long time, I've been in, in this business for 19 years now, in the new side, 17 years. And 
I remember when I had kids uh, and I would cover s- stories about kids or just even if I was anchoring and we'd talk about the uh, kids uh, tragedy with them, that would, it took a while to get used to be able to do that um, to even talk about it. But then um, times, I don't want to say you get hardened to it, but you just get a little bit used to it. But still nowadays you, we see so many stories in Detroit that are just unbelievable. I mean, every day starts with a, are you kidding me? It's just, how could this happen? And it did. And it's really not fake when you see a reporter sign off and send it back. And the anchor says, that's, I can't believe that that's just awful. Or our hearts go out to them. Hearts really do go out to them. And you don't want to say it every time, but it's, it's, it's really tough sometimes to, um, to separate it from real life. And you brought up anchoring. How about the differences between anchoring and then being on the scene in the field? Anchoring, it feels like you just have to, um, you're almost like a traffic cop sometimes, mm-hmm. a little bit, um, but you want to feel in, a little bit more invested in those stories. Um, so it's a little, but when you're out in the field, I always look at it this way. When I'm out in the field, I don't know anything that's going on in the news. When I'm anchoring, I know what every, everything that's happened because we, we're you know covering the show. But when you're out there, I'm focused on my story. My earpiece is in. The anchor tosses to me. I say something, or I do my story, and then toss back, and then it's out, and then you go, all right, I think we did a good job with that, you know? And then uh, you get back to the station, and what else was going on? What, what happened today? Because so much happens that you're not uh, paying attention because you're so focused on your story out in the field. But on the desk, you're able to to follow along, and there's a, it was a tough thing. I tell you what, I learned so much from Devin Skillian every day. That guy is just unbelievable with his insight into every story. He can relate to every story there is, no matter what it is. He's a great sports fan. He uh, has this, he's a musician, an author. Like he's so well-rounded. He's not real. I, my contention is he's, he's fake. He's a fake. He's not a real person. Uh, probably from another planet because he just knows too much about everything. And no matter what story, they always say this little thing like anchor reacts is always in the teleprompter. And I'm always nervous about that because me, I kind of shoot from the hip and I don't know what's coming out of my mouth. And I'm worried, oh, I don't know if I want to say anything here. Like, wow, you know, why would they do that? Devin always has the <laughs> perfect thing to say. And I'll watch. I'm like, yes, that was the perfect little way to tie up a story and move on to the next thing. Smooth transitions. That's So I'm always trying to improve with that. And uh, in my situation too, the biggest difference is when you're anchoring, you're interacting with everybody else. You're a co-anchor, you're Bernie coming in to do sports. You got Ben doing weather. So uh, you just have a lot of different moving parts that uh, you want to try and mesh with. When it's out doing a story, you're just worried about you having a nice relationship with your photographer and putting a story together. And uh, you don't have to worry about much. Now you're a longtime journalist. Um, early on, what were your goals when you first got into the field of journalism? And now, being that you're an established veteran, what are they now? Yeah, they've changed a little bit. I've, I've, you know, uh, when I it, the easy answer is when I first started, my goal is to be a Sports Center anchor. I had all these catchphrases, had had little things, and I and I always was waiting to use them in sports and I never got to, cause I never got to anchor sports cause I became a news anchor from the number three spot in Lansing. So I was really never, ever the anchor part. Uh, so I never got to use the little one. I can't remember what I had, but, um, 
I'm trying to think. No catchphrases right now that you can tell us? <laughs> I think what was the one, if anytime anybody hit it uh, uh, to the Gap, I'd go, he's going shopping at the Gap. I, it was lame, but that's <laughs> But it was one. something at least, so. I had a couple, and I, I used to try and remember what they were, but I get to do sports at Channel 4 every now and then. You probably haven't seen it, but um, when everybody's off, when Jamie's off and Bernie's off, sometimes if I'm working, they just have me do sports while I'm anchoring. And sometimes actually, and they're just to do sports, which is fun because then we can have a little fun. And uh, we have, I remember I did one time and we, there was a golf tournament and JJ Walker was leading. We threw some highlights and I said, let's intercut this with JJ Walker from Good Times, just doing dynamite in between each one. So he'd make a putt. Then I go, JJ Walker for birdie. And well, you know, dynamite. And we come back, we just had fun with that. But so after I switched to the news side, my goal became, my dream became to anchor the Today Show. To be, uh, yeah, a morning show anchor on the Today Show. And I still have always had that dream. I've always felt uh, like with my personality, I'd be a little bit more comfortable on a morning show and just be able to cut it loose a little bit to be, there's a little bit more time to show your personality. Um, And I, I still, although now that I've seen what I've seen with, uh, you know, network anchors and they, they shuffle around and, and what they do they, it's, it's not so much about having a dream to do that job. It's more about just trying to be the best I can be wherever I am. And at channel four, I really am very happy with, uh, the situation I'm in, um, and whatever they want to do, it, it's just great. So I never you never say never about where you might end up, but uh, I really like where I'm at and current goals. What are they now? Oh, um, Honestly, it, it sounds kind of maybe a little canned, but um, it's just to get better and better to to be the best I can be. And um, I feel like I have so much to get better at. And every day I think, oh, I could have done that so much better. So I'm working with people like Karen, who, who's been here 20 years, and Devin, who's been here 25 years, and Kim Gill, who's just amazing. And um, so I'm just, I look around and these guys are the best of the best. So I'm just trying to, I'm in the deep end and I feel like, um, when I first came to Detroit, I would tell people it was like playing for the lug nuts. Now all of a sudden I got called up to the tigers and I'm in the lineup. And now I feel like I'm definitely, maybe I've moved up to maybe the the second hitting position or something like that. And and now I just feel a little more pressure to make sure, uh, I'm getting hits and batting 300. So I'm I'm surrounded by all-stars. I just want to get to the all-star level myself. Would you still like to do sports on a local or national level one day? I know you I, love sports. People ask me that all the time. They're like, uh, <laughs> well, I think they get it wrong. Sometimes they're like, when's Bernie going to retire? Are you going to take over for him? I'm like, well, that's not what I, I'm, I'm in news. But uh, I would never close any door to something like that because uh, it's still, I've always had that goal. But once I got out of it, I remember enjoying things a lot more because once the game gets over now, I can just keep drinking. Uh-huh. And, and, and I don't, fun I don't have to that. go to work. Yeah, yeah. You're covering a game. The game gets over. Now you got to get to the locker room. Now you got to cover everything. And, but, um, there's still, I still do miss that rush of, uh, of covering a game. I was somebody yesterday, we were talking about, we were short of camera and I jokingly said, give me one of the cameras. I'll go. And they said, you can shoot. Right. And I said, yeah, I said, uh, I'm always working to catch my next greatest shot. The first greatest shot I had was David Terrell diving catch at Michigan. Mm-hmm. One of my first days on the job. And then one of my last days, well, it wasn't last, but I got a great shot of Smoker to duck it in the end zone, that pass. I got the ball perfectly, and I was standing right behind Duckett. If you watch that highlight, 
uh, when they all start piling on, you'll see me standing right over the pile with the camera and just kind of holding it out like that. So, and then just the walking off the field on that one, just those, those types of games where it's a moment and uh, you're covering it, which is an, another interesting story that I had when I was first here, it felt like I was always working the day of a big game. So Michigan, Michigan state at Michigan, Harbaugh's first game, I'm down there covering it. And we're just, I'm not able to watch any of the game. We're, we're live at six and we are going around town, just talking to people, just trying to do a story and, you know, what do you think? Well, actually we did get to watch near the, a lot of the fourth quarter. We're over at the golf course, interviewing people over there. And I said, we'll get this. And then, uh, when people are coming out of the game, we'll get reaction when they come out and we're watching over there on a couple of people who are still over there with TVs. And uh, it becomes clear Michigan's going to win. And I'm like, all right, let's just go up to the gates and we'll uh, we'll get everybody coming out and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so we people start rolling out of there. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, hey, what's uh, – I can't remember what I asked some guy. And I just remember this one guy going, yeah, the Harbaugh train, baby. We're on. Woo, woo. <laughs> and these other Spartan fans come out. And they're like, well, we'll get them next year. And, you know, it was we, we weren't supposed to win. And we hung in there. And I was like, all right, yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is good. And I'm waiting. And – and then all of a sudden there was a weird hush. All of a sudden, and I'm standing outside the stadium. I don't know what's going on inside. All of a sudden there's a silence and there's a weird cheer, like a, a, a strange cheer. It was like a big cheer and then it went silent and then there's like a small cheer. And I'm like, what's going on? And I look at my cameraman, Jake, and I was like, what's... And uh, these people are running. There's like a group of people running out and in green. And I just remember in green and they're shouting and I'm like, Something happened. And so there was a TV like in the, through this glass I could see. And I go running over and I look in the window and I just see this, everybody in the end zone on top of each other. And I go, Michigan State won the game. I don't know what happened, but Michigan State won the game. I, what? And camera guy goes, what? What? I said, I don't know. But then we started interviewing people coming out. How was that to interview oh those God. Michigan fans coming out of the big house? I can't tell you how many times I heard, all you have to do is punt the damn ball. It came down to that punting, of all things. Catch the ball. I know. It's like, and I'm like, oh, boy, it sounded like something happened on the punt. And I didn't know what happened. It and was I was the there. Thing. I was there in the press box. The big house went dead silent. Now, do you remember where you were, John, too, for that oh, game? of course. I bet you still do. Every Sparty fan, I think, remembers, and Michigan fan, yeah. unfortunately, too, at this point. Yeah, I'll never forget it because I was one of the uh, rare Spartans in the house. I watched it with my family, and it was one of those games where Michigan just had the lead, and Michigan State wasn't doing a whole heck of a lot, not many you know, marquee plays and things like that, and all of a sudden, you have this punt, and I spun like a top, and I screamed the loudest I've ever screamed because it was everyone was shocked, jaw open. I'm like, wait a minute, they won the game! They won the game! And I was screaming. And it was a memory for the ages. And when you're a Spartan fan and you're a supporter, you know, Michigan's your biggest rival. And when you can win like that That's to unreal. shock everybody and then to see the visuals of all the, the the Michigan fans being shocked and just unbelievably, you know, kind of processing what just happened. Greatest memory uh, being a Michigan State supporter outside of winning championships. I wish I could have seen it live. And to beat your <laughs> rival on the road. You almost yeah. saw it live. Now, how about when you're shooting something live or just shooting something? How is that? How is that different from actually reporting or anchoring? It's tough. It's tough. Um, and I really don't shoot anything anymore. But mm -hmm. when I was shooting sports, I would shoot a lot of sports, a lot of games. And if mm -hmm. I was covering Michigan State, obviously, or even, you know, Tigers, Lions, whatever. I'm a Detroit fan, too. And it would be – I got to a point where I almost became a non-fan. I really got into that role. I could sit in the press box of an MSU football game, basketball game, and – there was no chance of me cheering or anything like that because that's frowned upon in the press box, mm -hmm. obviously. But 
Um, even if it was a big game, if they won, I'd feel good. If they lost, mm, uh, that's a bummer. But and shooting video, I just got so consumed in making sure I was doing a good job. You're worried about getting the ISOs or getting the, the play. Um, it, it's easy to fall into doing the job after a while, I found out. So how about though taking the fandom out and the bias out? You said it's easy after a while, but when you first started, you know how tough was that? Well, it's tough to, like I said, uh, I remember covering um, Michigan State winning its fourth straight Big Ten title. That would have been 2001. So I was still about six months on the job, seven, eight months, something like that. And I remember Breslin Center was jam-packed, and we're trying to get from one side over to the stage and I would come across people. I remember seeing David Thomas uh, doing this. And and I'm like, yeah, DT, all right. So I was kind of cheering with them, you know. Um, but then and it also wasn't that hard to remember that you're a journalist there to cover something because I remember interviewing Jason Richardson on the stage. And he said, yeah, the, I can't remember what he said that he said something alluding to the fact that uh, about next year, next year, we're going to do this. And I said, oh, so I, and I said, so is that to say you're coming back? He goes, oh yeah, I'm coming back, Michigan State. I'm telling you right now, I'm coming back to Michigan State. We played that a lot after he decided to go pro. <laughs> so what are some tips you have for aspiring reporters and young journalists out there today? Uh, internships. I would, internships are the biggest. I didn't get a chance to do many, so I kind of got pretty lucky. I'm really, really lucky to be where I am. I didn't quite do it the traditional way of getting uh, the only internship I had that well, I had two. I had one that I was a producer of a sports talk show and I was also, uh, the rink reporter for MSU hockey. So I, I got those and they were helpful, but they didn't really add to my tape when I went to get a job and they want a videotape or they wanted to see what you have done. And I didn't have a whole lot, so it didn't help in that regard. But I would always say, as soon as you can find an internship or somewhere where they'll let you do anything, you need to do that. And you want to see if this is what you want to do. And today you need to be versatile. I mean, the versatility, I mean, you can't just be a TV personality anymore. You can't just be a talking uh, talking head, and maybe you can run the camera too. You need to be able to master the web and master social media and master a lot of different things, maybe, you know, podcasting or a lot of different facets. Whatever uh, skills you have, you, if you have 10 skills, they're going to hire you over the guy who has five skills. And so. it seems like you have to shoot a lot of your own stuff nowadays, mm -hmm. too. That's what I hear in this industry. Is that true as well, Jason? It's really going that way. I mean, we don't have the Detroit market's a little different, but a lot of markets around the country, um, we have what are called VJs, video journalists, and they are the reporters that shoot it themselves. And um, it's it's something you have to. And a lot of times, there are so many females in this market or in this business. You go to other markets, you'll see women carrying the gear around, the camera, the sticks, and everything like that. And a lot of them will get out because it's just like a, or, or they want to get to a market where they don't, they're working with a photographer. But in Detroit, it's a little bit different. Um, and well, to finish that thought, that's how uh, everybody gets good. And I know um, I have some close friends still in Lansing who still do that. And it helps them with an eye of how to tell the story. If you've kind of come up, being the photographer, you can kind of work with your photographer down the line and say, I'm, I'm thinking, do you see what I see? You collaborate a little bit and you can uh, work together to get the, the shot that you want. And you were saying you just you can't just be a talking head nowadays, but yeah. I want to be talking heads right now. And regarding Michigan hoops and the hiring of Juwan Howard, let's transition to sports talk a little bit here and get your opinions. And first on that matter, what do you think of the hire of Juwan Howard? My initial thought was... Um, 
I I didn't think it was good for him. I just, uh, the no coach, head coaching experience, but that's changed. And I'll explain. I took some heat in the newsroom one day because I was at the gym when they introduced him. And he, I, did, I had no sound. Now, keep in mind, I had no sound. But he walks up to the stage and, the, and I just see him start crying and turn around and start crying. And I, I kind of started laughing and I thought, what, what's going on? What is he doing? But when I watched it late and I came to the newsroom and I said to one of my buddies as a Michigan fan and he got mad. He's like, how could you say that? Did I mean, the way he was talking about his grandma, I'm like, okay, well, okay. I'm just telling you all I saw was the beginning. And then I went and watched what he said. And I was very impressed with what he said. And so my feeling has changed in two ways. I think this is a guy who's going to be able to go on the recruiting trail and sit in somebody's living room and really going to have an impact. I mean, if, if Juwan Howard was recruiting my kid and spoke the way he speaks, I would really, uh, it would be tough to say no to him. And then I saw he hired Phil Martelli. That's huge. I think that's big because you don't know, it, it's great to be a good recruiter, but what system do you have? You have to have something to run. And I, you really don't know what he did in Miami. Uh, I don't know if he was the offensive guy or whatever. I know he's a, he was a great player. And we've seen other great player, former players be able to coach at the college level, or I guess Good and bad. I mean, Kevin Ollie won a national title with UConn, but then, but then he got fired. Yes. Um, so it, it it's tough to tell how that ends up shaking out. But um, after letting it all settle and seeing who he's hired, I think he's going to do fine. But I don't think he's going to be as good as John B. The funny part about those that reacted that way to Juwan Howard, sometimes as hard as you work in life, there is a luck factor. And Juwan Howard, when you look at it, the way in which he's hired is super lucky as well because of the fact that the timing of when John Beeline left, you look at it and you say some of the other candidates are locked into their jobs. So now you have this opportunity, you're Juwan Howard, to go back to the place that you love. How can you not be emotional? Because yeah. I do believe that's his dream job. And I could relate to that knowing that you know here as a podcast, we yeah. had uh, limitations and things that uh, you know kind of hindered us a little bit. But then as we worked hard, as we, you know, started making goals and achieving them, when Vito and I got the email that said, hey, you guys can cover the Tigers, we were like jumping up and down going, wow, <laughs> this is unbelievable, because it was inconceivable six years ago that two guys that started a podcast in a basement could eventually go and cover the Detroit Tigers. So I could understand that and relate to that, but in sports, it's like, who's why is he crying up there? And that was your initial reaction, so I always found that to be when, funny. Once I heard his comments, yeah. then it all made sense when yeah. I was able to, and I even went back to my the guys yeah. in the newsroom, the Michigan fans, and I said, yeah. all right, I'm sorry, you're right. You're that right. was very heartfelt, <laughs> and as soon as he said something, I felt bad for for even kind of thinking that was funny. And they, and they all looked at me, they're like, yeah, see, see. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're right, you're right, okay. What's your honest take on Jim Harbaugh? Is this the year that he has to produce something tangible like a Big Ten title? Because it's been four years, uh, the Michigan natives are getting restless, especially with the expectation and what's been delivered, uh, consistent losses to Ohio State, not winning Big Ten, not getting to Indy. I think this is the biggest year for Jim Harbaugh. I think the, the seat might be the hottest it's ever been. Yeah, but do you really think they would ever push him out? That's the question. See, I no, I don't think so. He's his own boss, it yeah. seems like. Ward Manuel isn't going to fire him. I think no. I think Jim Harbaugh will leave before Ward Manuel or yeah. anybody ever fires him. I Michigan. think he would have to have a lot of bad years. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, just like, uh, and I think, I think he could hang on and beat Michigan State every other year and never beat Ohio State and never win the yeah. Big Ten and still go 10-2, 9-2, 9-3. and, two, nine and, two, nine and three. And probably survive for a long time, even though everybody would be like, it's "What's not going good on?" Enough. Yeah, 
Something I mean, what does that do though for his legacy? I mean, oh, yeah, if you care about it. that, it tarnishes it big time, right? It, you can't beat Ohio State yeah. at least a couple of times every five years. It already right? has, right? and it's already I mean, been. It's what's his record against? Going to be his fifth year, zero and four, going into year number five on the job for Ohio State against Ohio State. He's beaten Michigan State once or twice. I don't think he's beaten Ohio State at all. Well, no, he, he hasn't. Hasn't been been Ohio, State. Ohio State against yeah. State, though. And State once or twice. Two wins. Yeah. Two wins. Yeah. I think yeah. that's it. Two wins, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then he against Notre Dame, he's 0 2. Just lost this past year and lost another game at least one time this past year, the opening game, which yeah. it was the opening game in like these Michigan slap. You say, well, it was the first game of the season. So if it was later in the too. season, <laughs> yeah. it would have been better. Michigan would have beaten Notre Dame then. But on the road in South Bend, that's a tough place to play no matter what time of season you play Notre Dame. Yeah. And so, Notre Dame was good. So, Jason, is baseball the sport that you're most passionate about? No. What's no, the sport? Football. Football. Yeah. Baseball growing up was my thing. I loved baseball growing up. Played baseball. Loved baseball. I mean, I loved Ernie Harwell. That was like one of the, fr- I want to say the third impression. When I started the when I started doing impressions, like I, I don't even know why I tried. I saw somebody do Harry Carey, and it was really funny. I thought, God, that'd be funny to be able to do that. How do they do Can you do, do that? it? Can you do it? I want oh, to hear yeah. it again. <clears throat> My first one was Harry Carey, and I just spent all day working on it. And I was like, I was bartending at the time, and I'm just mumbling all day to myself, going, and then finally, late in the afternoon, I just go, check out the guy with the sombrero. I'll tell you, Harry could make a heck of a macho plate out of that. And some guy goes, wow, that's a good Harry Carey. I said, it is? It's good. Oh, oh man, thank you. So I did Harry Carey, and that was the only thing I could do forever. And then I thought, how do these guys do a bunch of voices? How do they do different voices? And I thought, who else could I do? And I watched uh, something came on where the final four and these guys were trying to imitate Dick Vitale and they were terrible. And I went, well, I wonder if I could do Dick Vitale. I'm listening. And so I finally learned, which was you find that one keyword or a couple keywords and phrases. And even if you don't sound like the guy, you you can fool people into thinking, oh yeah, he does say that. <laughs> so quickly I was like, let me tell you something about Mr. Rizzo. The guy is super scintillating. And uh, with the, some of these guys, he's got, we better watch out for the Dukies because Michigan State's got the shooters that can flat out shoot the rock. And they're going to listen to me right now. I'm going to tell you something. Headed to the Final Four, book Michigan State, marching on. And then uh, that people would go, oh, that's good. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm getting there. And then somewhere along the line, I. Somebody asked me, I had my, I think it was for my dad and I was trying to do Ernie Harwell and I heard an interview with actually my best impression ever is the sports guy in Lansing. Nobody will know who this is. His name's Tim Stout going to the Michigan sports hall of fame. Shout mm-hmm. out Tim. Yep. Uh, but he talks like this and he's a sports radio show and he has Ernie Harwell. I says, Ernie, now how you did this for 30 some years. How were you able to do that? I mean, it's just incredible. Well, Tim, you know, I'm, Lulu and I, we, we love baseball and we get out to the ball game and I like walking around and talking to the players and, you know, and talk to Gibby and Tram and talk to Lou Whitaker about the game. And it's just the greatest game in the world. That's baseball, you know. And and then I'd try and, like, morph it into a game call where he got him standing by the house on the side of the road and it's two down for the Orioles. And I just kind of worked it into that. And I thought that was okay in getting there. And I, I just... I Marv Albert and Mike Tyson and Ozzy Osbourne. I just kept everybody I would see on TV, presidents, and I would just try and do imitations of everybody. So, Doc, Devin, you know, Skillian's really good, you know, well-versed, musically gifted, but this guy has the impersonations <laughs> down pat of how many guys there. Wow. I mean, really impressive. Now, do people even know this about you, honestly? You oh, think? yeah. 
I did them. Uh, I did some uh, once I started doing them in the newsroom. Uh, our social media guy had me do them on Facebook early after I started, and we'd do five and see if you could get them. And and then I'd start doing new ones. And uh, there was one. What was the one? I think it was just I was rambling around going, you know, Matt Stafford, this guy. Look at him. Watch him throw that out there. That's an NFL quarterback there, man. He's gonna do this X Y J banana. Look at him. Look up field there. Boom. That's a quarterback right there, man. Look out. And he'd go, all right, do that. Nobody knows who Gruden is. And we'll, we'll do that and say, now the key to the second half is going to be whether they can run the football. Because if they can't run the football, well, they're just going to be out of, you know, they've got to be able to pass as well, but it's got to be balanced. When I was at the Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 we had to run the football. So, I mean, you just got to be good. And, we're, and then uh, here's a funny story that nobody is, I, I don't think Valenny knows this, but when he was in Lansing, uh, he has this call in, or he's doing a radio show, and he says, anybody who could give me the, the best Ken Cal in the next uh, whatever gets two tickets to the, to the Avalanche game coming up. And I was leaving work. I hear that. It takes me eight minutes to get home. I got home, practiced it for eight minutes, called him up, and I go, and we're back in overtime. Here we go, Ken. What's the key to the game here? Well, I'm a Ken. If we I'm a Ken, I'm put it in the goal, Ken, it'll count one and uh, we'll get the win. Okay, here comes Stevie Eiserman behind the net. He passes it out in front. Oh, it's... <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I wish Star! I could do that too, man. That did you, did you win the tickets? Stuff. I did. I won it going away. Nice. Uh, guy goes, he's even doing Paul Woods. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> so who's your favorite sports announcer of all time then? Probably, I don't know, probably Ernie Harwell, mm-hmm. when I think about it. Um, who are you guys? Just throw some out For at me. For me, I, I like Mike Breen a lot now. You know, some current guys. Oh, like Mike, Mike Tirico, Mike Tirico. Oh, my God. So well-versed, huh? I mean, he calls hockey games now, too. Never even called hockey. Calling hockey games and hockey playoff games. He can do so it So really well-rounded he is. Yeah. Right. Not easy time. to impersonate, though. Yeah, I don't know how you I, would impersonate yeah, no, him. You can't no. do that one. I've always liked Gus Johnson. I always thought he's amazing. Oh, the energy, my God. And went to U of D Jesuit as well, a local guy, so that's really oh, cool. Yeah. It's Man, a shame that guy never did yeah. a Final Four. Man in Summerall, always the voice mm-hmm. of the football. Right, for Those a long, long time. Yeah. And I love Marv Elbert now. El Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. Dick that's Enberg. a really good duo. I was a big Dick Enberg. I was a big Dick Enberg fan, yes. Dick Enberg was great. I loved him in football, too. Mm-hmm. And who, who, oh, you just said uh, Summerall, which I was, that was funny. Mm-hmm. It could be the biggest play in the world. And it's a touchdown, St. Louis. That's we were all like you got slow to the draw, yeah. right? How about when Dick Ember called the Tigers game? Do you remember that yeah. too? Yeah, a couple Last years summer ago. Two summers ago, I think two yeah. summers ago now. So, Doc, really quick, you had brought up on Twitter, now I think this is true, about who would you most like to golf with of the four major Detroit pro sports teams. How about that for you? So from the Red Wings, Lions, and just one guy, pick out one guy from those four Detroit pro sports teams. One guy from all four That you would teams. most like to golf with. Yeah. I think I'd say Stafford, probably for mm-hmm. sure for the Lions. He was the one that got the most votes, obviously. See, yeah. I wonder why, because he can chug a beer. Did you see that too, by the way? I did. That was Chugged fantastic. Chugged a beer and did it better than Aaron, that, Aaron Rodgers couldn't even do it. That's, so. that's the way you get fans back in your <laughs> yep, camp, right? Yep, exactly. Uh, Pistons, who do I want to play with? Um, Blake Griffin for me. I don't know. Oh, I mean, yeah, not many Pistons. I mean, I would mm-hmm. think of Blake because yeah, he's Blake. fun. I mean, Plus, he's got, he's got to have Kardashian stories. Yes. yes. Uh, oh, yeah. So, let's see. Uh, who am I? Tigers. You know, you'd think you'd say Cabrera, but no, I don't think so. Um, you know, I interviewed this guy, and he was super nice, and uh, I thought um, he would be 
I just he's kind of magnetic, nice guy, and does a lot of good charity work. Matt Boyd, mm-hmm. we all yeah. love him. Yep. Yeah. I've always said this, Mister Nice Guy. He really Super is an extremely nice. good dude. Yeah, but actually, if I was truly picking a tiger, it'd be Ron Gardenhire. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that guy's hilarious. He is entertaining too, big time. Yeah, and um, Red Wing, Red Wing, um, Advocator, no I'm Michigan State guy. No doubt about it. Now, um, obviously, we're all uh, big Detroit sports fans. It's a little bit of a tough time right now. A lot of teams are oh, in man. rebuild mode. I want to get your sense of this. Are you a tank guy? Are you a guy that says, look, if you're going to be a team that struggles, you know what? Just struggle at the best level. Try to get as many high draft picks as possible. Or do you say to yourself, you know what? Uh, if you're the Pistons and you're not willing to tank, then just wait it out and uh, try to acquire as many good, talented uh, individuals as possible. Because it seems like that's the biggest sports topic I- around town is. Obviously, a lot of the teams aren't doing well. They're not really uh, on a championship level. But then th- the biggest debate that we're all having as fans is, okay, do you tank or do you not? I know. It's it's the biggest talking point, so w- where do you stand on it? Well, um, here's where I stand on that, because I know it's going to come up in the debates. Um, uh, let's use the Pistons. Good example. Uh, finishing eighth. It, for what? Why? I mean, even if you finished seventh, you would have played Toronto. So, And people were saying, if you finish seventh, you've actually had some success against Toronto, but still, are they going to win? And even if they beat Toronto, how far are they going to go? Find, I, I think they needed to find a way without tanking. It goes against my core beliefs to purposely lose. So I don't want any team to purposely do that. But if you want to trade away the assets for future assets, so the team is going to stink and you're going to get a better <laughs> draft pick, then do it. I mean, why linger at seven and eight? Uh, or out of the playoffs forever right when you and this was a good year to have a lottery pick or it will yeah obviously it would be Mm -hmm. but instead you just you linger and you hang in there i know there's got to be a different a a better way to do it to to fall back in that regard and in football it's even it's a little bit tougher but i think it's there's a more of an art form to tanking in football it should be pretty easy to do um, but I think it goes against their core as well. There's no, no coaching step, coaching staffs come and go so quickly. They can't afford to tank. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. And we're living in a tumultuous time to be a Detroit sports fan, to say the least. Now, which team has the best shot of winning next a championship of Lions. the four major teams? Yeah. It's gotta now, why is that? Um, just simply because I think you can turn your fortunes around more quickly in the NFL than you can in the other sports. Um, and I just think you'd think the Pistons are closer as well if they get the right guy, but there there's nobody in the draft that they're going to get or nobody in free agency that is going to want to come there. Um, that's going to put them that far up. And you may be able to make the playoffs in the East, but are you really going to compete for a championship against whoever comes out of the West? That's what I look at there in football. I always feel like uh, it's a crapshoot, and like the Rams came out of nowhere. A lot of teams come out of nowhere. And after, you know, a couple of good draft picks. And if the system catches on, hopefully these guys buy into what Matt Patricia is doing and it produces results. This is a big year, although I'm not, I'm not sold on this year. I'm, I'm very, very worried for the Lions this year. So do you believe in the Patriot way, by the way, which they're trying to replicate right now there in Detroit? I say until proven otherwise, no, because no other Patriot castoff has done anything anywhere. Or has had success. Bill O'Brien's still around, but every other coach who's left to go somewhere else has failed. 
So by that rationale, the Patriot Way doesn't work elsewhere. It works in New England, where you have the master and Tom Brady, which they go elsewhere. You don't have Tom Brady. So until somebody does it, you'd have to say it doesn't work. Enjoying greatly the conversation that we've had with Jason Colthorpe, WDIV. Now, let's get to know you on a quick hitter basis. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. American or Lafayette? Lafayette. Lafayette, yeah. okay. Uh, last movie that you saw in the movie theater? <sighs> Whatever my kids dragged me to. Um, well, I can tell you what my next one's going to be. It's going to be John Wick 3. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, which made me laugh because I saw you have the Kevin Nash belt on yep. the wall. Mm-hmm. I, know, I just got into the John Wick uh, series. Uh, my girlfriend and I watched it, watched the first one, and I went, this is amazing. We've got to watch the second one immediately. And I saw Kevin Nash was in, I think, the first one as a, mm. a body man outside of some club or something. And I just, I'm like, oh, Kevin Nash is in this. Oh, I hope he doesn't die. <laughs> I don't think he did, though. One of your favorite songs in your MP3 player? Tumbling Dice, Rolling Stones. Playing it a lot lately. I don't know why. Did you watch Game of Thrones, by the way? Oh, yeah. Okay, so how was the series finale for you? Because it got a lot of reaction, a lot of traction on Twitter, and a lot of people were up in arms about the ending. I don't get a lot of it. Uh, I was, my initial reaction was, I like it, but I felt like they really screwed up in a lot of ways. My simple take on it is there were six episodes. They needed 10 more to fill in all these gaps, especially with the last episode. After John, well, there's so many things got left out, and I have no idea why. We're not going to see Sansa and Arya's reaction to John telling them that he's not their brother. Please. It's the bloodline of the show that he's a Targaryen. We should see it when he tells his family. And then in the last episode, John kills Danny. I want to see what happens next. You're telling me Grey Worm's not going to immediately try and kill him? That's not right. So then all of a sudden it goes to black. We're assuming this is like at least three weeks later because everybody comes to King's Landing. And there's this absurd round table where Tyrion's in chains one second and the next minute he's running stuff. He's running the whole show. Okay, here's who's going to be king. Whoa, 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 whoa. A minute ago, Grey Worm wasn't going to let him speak. What's going on here? So it's just they needed so much more time to kind of flesh out these storylines. And I just think they, they wasted it. And I never read the books. So I'm tempted to think that when George Martin actually writes the last two, I might actually read them just to, to get a little more fulfillment. Now, my favorite guilty pleasure is I've watched every single episode of The Real Housewife that's ever aired. Me and my wow. wife love Say, it. How sad yeah. is that, That's Jason. my favorite guilty pleasure. Say that or is that all right? Hey, you let that fly it's, by? it's dramatic. And I can I, let it go. I'm entertained. Okay. Your favorite guilty pleasure that not many would know about you. Guilty pleasure... On TV or sure. on TV, something that you like to do, anything that's, uh, you know, that you say, oh my gosh, like I just did and reveal it and people go, oh my gosh, you're into that. Hmm. The one I don't want anyone to know about ever is that, uh, I have a lot of Celine Dion on my, my, mm. my, on my phone. Man, Jason, two peas in a pod. If you look at here, I, the only, I have a lot of music. The only album I have, Celine Dion. I'll tell you, if her voice asked an me angel, to, I would do this podcast yes. again. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Now, you know what's bad about you talking all about the Game of Thrones is that Doc and I each have never watched one episode. No idea. Really? Oh, totally I wonder I'm why so you're looking sorry. at me. Like, I don't know what's going on, what you're talking about at all. Exactly. But at least you gave your opinion, wanted to get that. And really quick, how about the best series finale that you've ever seen? Because a lot breaking, of people have said Breaking Bad. Yeah, Breaking Bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought Breaking Bad was the best series I'd ever seen when I watched it. The uh, finale was phenomenal. Uh, that series was just incredible. It got better every year. And that just seemed absurd to be able to, after season three, and then you introduce, and then Gus become the whole Gus season in four and five. That was just, I thought that was amazing. Uh, the Wire was very good. 
Um, I'm trying to watch Deadwood because I listened to some guy on another podcast who ra- ranked his top five TV shows and Deadwood was the only one I hadn't seen. And I was always like, I always wanted to get into that. And I've been trying. I'm only about three episodes in and now they're doing a Deadwood movie and I feel like I got to hurry up through it. But so are you a big Netflix guy though, by the yeah. way? Binge watching? Yeah. Shows too. And what are you binge watching then? On uh, I just binge watched Russian Doll, which is weird, but good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what's really good that I just binge watched is um, Dead to Me. Dead to, is it Dead to Me? I think it's so. the one with uh, Christina Applegate and okay. uh, Linda something something. Uh, anyway, um, her husband dies in a hit and run, and it goes from there. It's fantastic. It's quick, and every episode's like 30 minutes or less, so it was really good. Um and then this is an older one, but um, Godless with Jeff Daniels. Devin Scullion told me to watch that. That was fantastic. And another lesser known one. This is another Devin Scullion tip. Uh, Letter Kenny. It's on Hulu. I think that one's on Hulu though. Uh, it's a Canadian. It's based on a town in Canada. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Have you guys seen Ozark? By the way, I've been watching yes. that lately. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. Love Just in it. the first season though. So. Oh, you're not in season two yet. No, I'm not even caught oh. up officially yet. Oh. So where are you at in season one? There are three or four episodes. I think oh, there are four. So that's such a good show. Yeah. Just hang on. Oh man, you're you not see everything now. too, man. I mean, they show a lot of Jason stuff there. Jason Bateman is so good in that. That is such a good show. I love the fact that when we do this podcast, we have interesting personalities here, and I'm so thankful. And I'm regretting that I didn't get Jason in here sooner. You got a great personality. Thanks, Thank man. you for sharing everything, and uh, you're very friendly. And uh, uh, I've enjoyed our interaction. I look forward to talking sports with you again. I think that uh, talking to you on the phone when big stuff happens is uh, you have a unique perspective, and I can sense your passion about living, and you have a, a great personality to do the job that you're doing. So keep on. We appreciate you sharing insights with us. It means a lot for you to come here and share that with us. So I, I appreciate it. Anytime. I can't wait to come back, guys. Jason, thanks for all the time, and it's yeah. been a pleasure. We'll thanks, talk to buddy. you again soon. You guys have just downloaded the latest edition of Two Bad Hombres. You can follow the show at Two Bad Hombres. You can follow Jason at Jason Colthrop on Twitter. Check out all his great work at WDIV. Click on Detroit.com. All the great work there that they're doing. And uh, thanks, everybody, for downloading the latest edition of Two Bad Hombres. We'll be back again next Saturday. It's been-